Yeah, I'm going to need an assistant. Thanks, Don. Um, well, hello. Welcome. It's nice to see so many beautiful, shining, glorified by God faces this morning. Thanks. I appreciate that, Ruben. That was a really nice smile. Extra nice. Making me feel extra happy. Um, so, I got told this morning by Esther that I looked very studious today. I looked like a student. So, I'm hoping my facade is going to trick you all into thinking I'm very clever and I'm bringing some very intelligent teaching to you this morning. I hope it works. And if not, then there's some pretty candles to look at. So, you can be distracted by that as well. Um, but actually, today, I have felt that... Um, God has just been showing me some cool stuff in the Bible about the fire of God and how he uses that throughout the whole scripture. So I just wanted to share that with you this morning, three different um, scriptures where the most prominent areas that the fire of God is used in scripture. How's it? Sorry, Don. It's it's going well. Um, And so I have some fire to help us with that, some candles. I should have been really prepared and asked Keisha to loan us some candles, and then maybe I could have got to keep them <laughs> from, uh, from Keisha's candle business. Um, a little plug there for you, Keish. You're welcome. <laughs> um, all right, so um, I'm going to go through the three main areas where the Holy Spirit or God is used um, uses fire as an allergy, as a symbol of who He is. Um, and not necessarily looking particularly at the symbolism of fire, although I may get into that because it's incredible and it's powerful. Um, but I'm going to be looking at just kind of the thread through the Bible that we see. And what's beautiful about the Bible, thanks, Don, um, is that it's all telling the same story. This book, it goes through so much of history, so much time is um, talked about in this book. Um, but what, and you know, society changes, life changes, um, everything completely changes, but what doesn't change is what the book is about. And the book is about God and it's about the revelation of Jesus, which is how we get to experience this book, which is amazing. So we're just going to look at one of the threads um, through the Bible that I really like. Um, So let's start with Moses. We're going to look at Moses at the beginning of Exodus. We're going to look at the Israelites at the end of Exodus. And then we're going to go straight to Pentecost in Acts. So the first thing we're going to look at is Moses. um, Exodus 3, verse 2. So to give... um, a bit of background to this because it's going to help me with my illustration of what I believe God wants to talk to us about this in a little bit. Um, Moses was born in when the Israelites were in Egypt. Now, the Israelites ended up in Egypt because of Joseph. And Joseph, as we know, did some incredible things. He actually saved Israel from starvation when because he was in Egypt, which is an incredible thing. He did um, an amazing um, thing with his life, his life. I've talked about it before, the incredibleness of it and how God used him and all his pain and hard life. And, um, and he ended up saving Israel And they ended up in Egypt. That's how he managed to save them. Um, And then life happened. Joseph died. The Pharaoh died, who loved Joseph. And then a new Pharaoh came, didn't understand 
um, really who Joseph was and all he saw was that the Israelites were being blessed and that were doing better than the Egyptians and so he didn't like that. So he started trying to oppress the Israelites. And so Moses was born into this where the Israelites were being oppressed um, and he tried, he got suddenly, you know, he realized who he was. He was um, born an Israelite, ended up living in the um, in the uh, palace or whatever it was called um, and had a luxurious life and then re- went back to his roots, realized who he was and suddenly he got this passion for his people and he felt the burning desire of the calling of God on his life and so he started trying to do stuff about it, uh, got into a bit of trouble, ended up having to flee and then just thought well what's the point point? and at the end of chapter 2 you see that he, um, he ends up meeting a family, getting uh, married to one of the daughters of the guy whose family he got into and so he just started to have a nice life, chilled a bit and gave up a little bit on his dream um, and so he was in this place, he had a son, um, was tending the flocks of his father-in-law which is where we join in, verse, in chapter 3, um, I'll start at verse 1. So Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Herob, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so then Moses then interacts with God. What I love about this is that... um, God stopped Moses in his tracts. Um, for me, it feels like Moses had kind of, he knew that he had a calling on his life, something burning inside him that he knew he needed to do, but it got hard and it failed. And so he just carried on and just um, ignored that for a little bit and just started to live a bit of a comfortable life. Um, and then God all of a sudden stops him in his tracks and en- re-enters his life and reminds him of what his calling is and who he is. And then he goes on to be Moses and do incredible things. Um, and I just, I think that's amazing. And I think that there's something in that for us that um, sometimes we, we forget about the callings or when things have got hard and it's not worked out. We've had a door shut and we think, okay, that clearly wasn't a thing that you know that burden that passion that I've had my whole life that I feel I'm like called to I I had a stumbling block I I had to stop and so I've just stopped it because I don't want to get hurt again it clearly wasn't for me I must have heard wrong um so I'm just going to carry on and just um have a more relaxed life um but sometimes God stops us in, his, in our tracks and he doesn't let us do that. And I've experienced that many times when I've just thought, mm, maybe, that, maybe that wasn't from God, you know. Um, but he doesn't stop and he doesn't give up and he doesn't put something in you to then um, just to be forgotten about. He will always remind you and get you to a point where he puts you right in front of it for you to be faced with what he's given you again. And I just... Um, And that is just something that I want to say today. If that is you, if you felt that God has put something in front of you to remind you of his calling on your life, then he's done that for a reason. Um, And also what's interesting about Moses is that he, um, God reveals himself to him and he is just one person. At this time, um, God wasn't, it's not like we all have the Holy Spirit today, Um, and it wasn't to everybody. This was just Jesus, uh, God revealing himself to the one, just to Moses. Um, 
and we'll look at how it develops. And that's kind of what happens. Back in the day, it was just the one chosen prophet or um, person who was going to help lead Israel back to the presence of God. Um, So yeah, so that's the story of Moses and what happened with him. Let's move on to the story of the Israelites. Um. So, let's go to the end of Exodus. So Moses has the hand of God on his life, leads the people out of Israel. And then Exodus 40, verse, I'll, start, I'll just read 36 and 38. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. So the incredible thing about Moses is his legacy and what he did is he took that experience that he had on just the one-on-one experience with God and he um, enabled the whole of the Israelites to see. He, God gave him the, um, the dream and the plans and the ability to create the tabernacle, which is where the presence of God lived among his people, the Israelites. And this was still when they were in the wilderness. And then once that had been created, um, a physical space for the presence of God to be with his people... The glory of God then lands in that space and the whole of Israel now can see the glory of God. They have um, a visual access to seeing God's presence. Um, so as, and it says that he, the, the cloud or, and the fire in the cloud at night um, was with them through all their travels. And when it stopped, they had to stop. And when it moved, they had to move. And what I love about this is that this is another sign of what, who God is for us. Um, sometimes he has to stop us in our tracks and be like, uh, remember what the life I called you to is. And sometimes it's the, um, we go through deserts and we go through wildernesses and we go through patches of life that feel really, really hard. And then just as you think that that patch is over and the difficult season is over, it just leads straight into another one. And it feels never-ending. For the Israelites, for some of them, it was most of their life. Some of them died there. Imagine raising children in that hostile environment of the desert. Um, so difficult to, to proceed. But what God did is he gave them something to focus on. He gave them his presence. If they looked to his presence, they knew they were going to be led through the wilderness. And that is what God does for us. If we, When we're going through life and you're like asking the big questions like, why me, God? Are you really a good God? I don't understand. I thought the season was over. I have been praying my prayers. I have been fasting. I have been seeking your face, crying out to your face. And I'm still wading through the mud. I still feel like I'm really parched and I don't have um, the answers. But God just calls us to go to look to his presence because he didn't promise us the easy life, but he promised that he would always be there. He would guide us through. And so our responsibility in those situations, not looking down and getting 
depressed and uncomfortable in the situation and not seeing how it fits in with the lining of God that he's called on your life, but instead choosing to focus on his presence and giving it back to him because he is the one who guides us through. If we just end up looking down at our feet and getting really depressed with how messy life is and how hard it is, then we're not going to be able to move on. But if we choose to give it to God and look at his presence then we can be guided through. And the beautiful thing is that sometimes he stopped and sometimes he moved, but they would only know that if they looked and chose to focus on where his presence was in the tabernacle. Um, and, they, um, and they had that, and we have that. We always have God leading us through. The amount of times Jesus says in the New Testament, come, follow me. That's what he's asking us to do. Just follow him, and he leads us through the, the tricky parts of life, and he leads us through the narrow path that he has promised that we're going to be led through. He never said a nice, comfy path. He never said the perfect motorway. My daughter um, loves her scooter, her bike, anything with wheels. She's a very physical child, um, and she likes to ride her scooter to school, but there's certain bits of the path that she like picks up her scooter because it, you know, like it doesn't, it's not smooth enough. And so Dave has now found the street parallel to where we are, and it's like the nicest pavement. It's so smooth. It's not been redug up for anything. It's like all one consistent. And so sometimes he'll just take her over there, and she'll just get to like whiz down, no stopping, no tree roots bumps or anything like that. And she is in her element, and it's so easy. But actually, that's not what we've been promised with God. He said the narrow path. Um, and so, um, but the beautiful thing is, is that we don't have to worry. We don't have to um, think that God isn't with us in that because all the way through this Bible, that is what he is doing. He is leading us to his presence. You know, in Genesis, um, when... Adam and Eve, they have to leave the garden as a consequence of their sin. They have to leave that beautiful, continual presence of God. Ever since then, the Bible shows us that all God is trying to do is get us back to that place of presence with him. Isn't that incredible? The whole point of this Bible, all the laws in um, the Old Testament, everything that is happening is God trying to create a way for us to go back where we were the ones who messed up, but he is paving the way for us to get back into his presence, back to his kingdom. And um, that happened for the Israelites in Exodus, and that's what he's doing for us as well in our life. Our job is just to focus on him and look to his presence, and he guides us through. Um, An example of this kind of... Um, I've had this analogy, because this is something that I've really been holding on to in my life over the last few months. Um, And sometimes I feel like I'm holding a piece of a jigsaw. Does anyone like jigsaws? I love jigsaws. Um, Anna will know. The kids once, we were at Anna and Gary's house once, and the kids got out this jigsaw, do you remember? (laughs) And it was a bit too difficult for their age or whatever, so they all ran up back upstairs. And I was like, oh, Anna, I'll I'll tidy up. And I was sat on the floor, and we were chatting, but I just ended up doing the jigsaw because I just loved it, and it was, like, challenging. It was like, what was it, Harry? No. Yeah, like a Narnia, Jigsaw Prince Caspian. And it was quite difficult, and I was so proud of myself for doing it. Yeah. Um, but I love a jigsaw, and I because um, you get the satisfaction of seeing the full picture. You see the picture on the box, and you see the full picture. When you're in the middle of a jigsaw, you've, sometimes you've got a piece in your hand, and you've got no idea how it fits into what you've already started on the floor, on the table. Um, but you know it has to fit somehow, because it's, it was in the box. It's part of the picture. And so you know 
that it has to, but right now, there's no possibility of it fitting anywhere in what you've already created. And sometimes I feel like that. I know that I'm going through something or I'm doing something and it feels like a piece of the jigsaw puzzle of my life. And I can't understand the next phase because I'm not God and I don't have the big picture like he does. But I have to trust that he does. And as I continue to follow his guiding on the jigsaw of my life, then he will create a space where it's suddenly really obvious why I had to go through what I had to go through or why that happened or whatever, because it fits perfectly into that part of the jigsaw and it creates the full picture. An example of this is... um, Dave has recently started doing more freelance work. He's, he's wanted to for quite a while. He's just felt a passion to move more into, for whatever reason, for his creativity. He just felt, God, that was where he needed to go to move out of um, his job at King's Church as the media person and um, step into more freelance stuff. And so I, he'd had this for a while, and I was like, mm, nah, <laughs> we, we can't do crazy things like that anymore, Dave. We've got kids now. We, you know, we, that would have been fine if it was back in the day when we were crazy and young and it didn't matter, but now it matters. Like, you can't just give up a wage. That's just no. Um, and so it took quite a while for God to work on me. Um, and eventually it got to a point where, um, I kind of said, like, okay, I don't see how that can work out because there's no work for you. Like, I don't understand how that's going to work. Work doesn't just, you know, fall out the sky. Um, You have to, like, have things in place. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Um, So we kind of were thrashing this out one night, and he was just really like, no, this is what I need to do. And so we were like, okay, let's just pray and give it to God. Um, And I'm 100% for it, but I need to know that I know that I know before you give up your job that we're going to have money coming in. And so we just prayed, um, and then um, the next day, he had three, four jobs come through on email or phoning people, literally. Well, three people, but it, and one of the people gave him two different jobs, basically, um, literally the next day. And I was just so blown away that, um, that God came through, that God, when we went to God, he guided us through, and he made a way. Um, and that is what he does. He is always, always leading us, even when we don't feel like it. Um, when it doesn't make sense, what we're going through, because the jigsaw piece doesn't fit, he is always, always leading us. Um, okay, so that's the Israelites. So we saw that Moses saw the fire of God, and now the Israelites have seen in the distance the fire of God. Now let's zoom through to Acts 2. This is the exciting part because we get involved, us mere Gentiles, non-Jews, unless we have any Jews in the room. Acts 2, verses 3 to 4. I'll just read from verse 1, actually, from chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So this is where it gets exciting because... 
the fire of God and the spirit of God no longer is something distant that we can just look at and know that it's there, but we just look at. It's something that falls on the people and actually goes into the people and they can experience themselves. It's no longer just um, a thing that they can see or is revealed to them, but they can experience it on a personal level um, and it can be experienced by all. And what I find fascinating about this story is that... um, for them, it was that the people who were gathered in that room, they were waiting. Jesus had told them to wait because I'm, I'm bringing you the gift. I'm bringing you the Holy Spirit. Um, and they had to wait. And I can imagine in their waiting in this room that they would have been scared. They had enemies out there who hated Jesus and did not want any of his followers to continue the work of Jesus. Um, and there was a lot of fear among that. Obviously, we see how many times Simon um, Peter, um, you know, didn't want to engage with um, God. Sorry, I just, I don't know. Because I hasn't planned to say that. My mind's just gone. It was Peter, wasn't it, who denied Jesus? Yeah, good, okay. So Peter um, denied Jesus. He was living in a fear of what would happen to him because he died. And obviously they knew that he'd been raised again, but he'd gone and they would have been in a period of grieving and in sadness. They, I imagine they would have felt a bit of a void or an emptiness without him because they had been giving everything they had. They'd given up everything else, their, um, their work, their family, everything to follow this man. And he'd gone and the next step hadn't started yet. They were in the waiting. They were, um, so that's what they were doing. They were waiting and they had to stop and they had to wait. And it was in that place that the Holy Spirit fire comes. Can you imagine if you'd been in that room waiting and you were like, I'm just going to nip out for a chippy. I can't do it anymore. I'm just going to nip out. I'll see you all soon. Nothing's going to happen in the meantime. And then you missed out on the fire of God being brought down because you got your hunger got the better of you. Um, and I, I think that that is quite a challenge for us. I don't know about you. Maybe you're better than me at this. But I, I'll carve out some time in my day. Like I'm going to spend some time with Jesus. I'm going to wait on the Lord. Um, so I, you know, I'll go and sit down in the lounge and think, oh, my phone's about to die. I need to go and charge it because, you know, my music. And so then I'll go and charge my phone and then I'll see that there's some mess or some clothes. Oh, I'll just go and fold those. I can't, I can't worship God in a, in a cluttered room. And so then I go and put those away and then I end up upstairs and I end up cleaning the bathroom. And then all of a sudden my time's gone. Um, and I don't know if that's true for anybody else, but I find it really difficult to carve that space and allow the waiting to happen. Um, and I know we talk about this a lot, and Rachel spoke a really good word about this last year, about making sure that we actually leave room for God. Because if we, if we don't leave the room and expect that he's going to come, then he, how can he come if we're not giving him that space? Um, and there's also that expectation that God is going to come. They had that expectation. They had no idea what he meant. I mean, they had no idea um, about the, what the kingdom of God was for them. They imagined it was going to be soldiers and war and battle and blood, and that's how Jesus was going to get on his throne. They had no idea it meant that he was going to be humbled and um, humiliated and put on a cross. So for them, they're still all like, what? So they've got no idea what's coming next because they've never experienced it before. Um, but they know that they need to wait. They have an expectation that God is going to show up for them. Um, I, we had some friends over yesterday, and um, it was his 
it was the guys, Josh and Charlotte, and it was Josh's birthday. They lead home community. We used to live together, so we're quite close, more like family relationships. They came around for a birthday brunch for Josh, and we made him birthday brownies. And he was talking about how he'd gone to this fancy new steakhouse in Stockport somewhere for his birthday. And it just made me think about, you know, when you've the waiters come to the table at a nice fancy restaurant and you put in your order... Um, and I'll say, yes, I'll have the steak, please. And they say, how would you like it, madam? And I say, rare, only way to eat steak, people. If it's not a fancy restaurant, here's a tip for you. If it's not a fancy restaurant, you definitely ask for rare because then it'll come medium rare. If you like it medium rare, don't ask for medium rare at a not fancy restaurant because it'll come like a piece of cardboard. And then the only person who'll eat that is Keisha because <laughs> we have very different views on how steak should be eaten. Um, so, yeah, so I'd say, yeah, I like it rare, thank you. Um, and then they go off to the kitchen and tell the waiter that they're going to prepare this beautiful piece of steak for me. Now I really want steak. Um, but, and then we, sorry for any vegetarians in the room. Um, and then I'm sat there waiting for my steak. I have an empty plate, um, but I know that I know that I know that that steak is coming. I have an expectation that something mighty fine is about to enter my world and it's going to be super tasty. Um, and I, I think that sometimes we need to put ourselves in that place where we create room and we have an expectation that God is going to come and give us what he's got to give us. Um, but we need to make sure that we, we create that space, we leave room. Um, and sometimes when you're waiting at a restaurant, you're hungry. I mean, you're hungry anyway. Of course you're hungry. Um, but sometimes that hunger turns to hunger, in my case. Um, hung, angry hunger. I don't know if anyone's experienced that. It's quite well known in my house. I don't know why. Um, usually after church. <laughs> Not a good time to be betraying negative feelings. A bit of hunger. But, um, but there's that expectation and you know that you need it so badly because there's an emptiness. Because you're hungry, you need it to come. And sometimes we have to allow ourselves to get to that place with God where you feel so void and empty and dry and that he's not there. Um, but actually waiting and expecting him to come and come down with a fire um, the drier the piece of wood is, the quicker it catches on fire. And sometimes when we feel like we are so dry and there's nothing there, it's in those moments that God can come and quickly reignite you. Wildfires happen really quickly. It can be a real quick transition. And what's beautiful here is that it was like a wildfire. They were waiting, they were void, they were dry and empty and grieving from lacking Jesus. And then the fire of God came and it was like a wildfire because that spread and the church was born within a few hours because um, the Holy Spirit was able to do what he needed to do in that space. Um, so, yeah, so I... I'm going to stop there. And it's been a whirlwind stop, a uh, whirlwind tour, a whistle stop tour. What's the? I'm really bad at these. Whistles, thanks. Whistle stop tour of um, the Bible and how the fire of God is used through the Bible. Um, and I really hope that some of that drew 
um, felt true to where you are in your current place. I didn't, I was just going to preach on um, the Israelites in the cloud, the glory cloud at the end of Exodus, but I really felt that God was wanting me to touch on all those different points because God is always, always trying to lead us back to his presence. He's helping us do that. And for, depending where you are in your life and depending what's happening, that can be in different ways. He understands that we go through different things, we're in different places, but no matter what, he wants to interact with you and he wants to bring the fire in your life of his presence because that is only going to do good for you. That is only going to refine you and bring out the best in you. So the best thing that we can do is respond to his spirit. Um, so I just want us to think for a moment, and I've asked Shagan if he'll come and lead us in some time, just that we can reflect on this. Um, I've nicked your music stand though, mate, sorry. Um, maybe it's that you need to um, have a moment with God where the calling on your life and that passion that you used to have of what you felt God was calling you into... Um, you kind of, you put it on the shelf and you thought, oh, that didn't work out. I don't see how that's true anymore. Whether it's a prophetic word or um, an excitement that you used to have when you were younger or something that you started and you've had to stop for whatever reason and you've just put it on the shelf. Um, I believe that God is asking you to take it off the shelf and he is have, wants to have a stop in the tracks moment with you um, where he reignites your passion and your excitement for the calling that he's put in your life. For some people... It's that you feel like it's a never-ending wilderness, a never-ending desert of pain and hardship and struggle that you're going through. And God's just asking you to to look to him, to find his presence and focus on his presence because he will guide you through. And for some, it's that you feel that there's a there's been a sense of waiting or there's a um a space or a void or a grief or just that sense that it's just not there but I want God to be there and you feel like that dry piece of wood that's ready to catch on fire but you haven't yet then I just believe that today that God can just reignite that fire in you as you make space for him to do that so we're just going to do that now so if you just want to stand for me And I'm just going to pray and then I'll let Shagan lead us um, in worship. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you never, ever, ever have stopped loving us. You've never, ever, ever stopped pursuing us. God, I thank you that you are always there leading us through this life, that we do not have to do it alone. So God, right now this morning, we just say we want to follow you. We want you to lead us into where you are calling us to go. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll speak to every single person in this room, that your fire will fall on them in the way that they need it specifically. God, you know better than me, better than themselves. You know better than every person in this room how they need to interact with you today. So God, I just pray that you'll allow that to happen. I just ask you to open your hearts and allow him in. 
Allow him to access the parts of you that you shut down. Allow him to get involved in the mess. Be real with him. He, he, uh, being angry and shouting at God does not scare him. He wants to know how you actually feel. You're not going to break God by being honest with how you feel about him. And God, as we create space for you right now, we pray that we will experience you in a way that we haven't for a while or that we never have. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit will do something special in this place and that we'll go away transformed and changed by you.